0: So Today's Bible reading um, is from Matthew, and we're reading from chapter 7, verse 28, um, through to chapter 8, verse 27. So it starts at the top of page 1511. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word, and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my Father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat but Jesus was sleeping the disciples went and woke him saying lord save us we're going to drown he replied you have little faith why are you so afraid then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm the men were amazed and asked what kind of man is this even the winds and the waves obey him
1: well good morning once again I wanted to remind you of what a storm looks like on our hot day outside, just to give you a reminder, a little of what our talk is about today. That YouTube clip, if you're interested, goes for eight hours. You can sit there and watch the waves crashing into the beach on an endless loop almost. And it's kind of ironic, I think, because it's designed on YouTube to put you to sleep. The disciples today in our reading had to wake Jesus because of a storm. I kind of find it a little strange sometimes that uh, the most terrifying events in nature kind of become soothing when you're tucked up in bed with a warm blanket but if you're out in the elements there's nothing at all soothing is there about a storm they can be fierce and truly terrifying And if you doubt that, just think about the last time you woke up when thunder really clapped just right above your bedroom. Many of you will know, of course, the story about Jesus calming the storm. It's a staple of our minis program and it's a story that's loved by Sunday school teachers the world over. It's a truly amazing account of Jesus simply speaking and a life-threatening storm stopping It's a great Sunday school lesson, but why do we need this story as adults? Well, today as adults, I want us to be asking the question that arises from this passage. It's the same question the disciples ask when Jesus calms the storm. The question they ask is, what kind of man is this? What kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. That's the question I want us to be asking as adults over the next few weeks as we work our way through these middle chapters of Matthew's Gospel. But before we do that today, I want to make sure that we're all on the same starting platform. I want you to understand that I read these words of this story of Jesus calming the storm as part of history. They are, I think, a historical biography of Jesus' life. That is, I read these words believing that Jesus was a real man who walked, who breathed, who ate, who taught, who healed, and who spoke to the wind and the waves. Now most, if not all, historians, Christian or not, I think are also on this same starting platform. Indeed, that's what John Dixon himself says. He's a historian. He says in his book, Simply Christianity, he says, finding a professional historian who denies the first century existence of Jesus is about as difficult as finding a professional scientist who rejects the existence of DNA. But John Dixon, if you know him, he is a Sydney minister. You don't need to take his word for it, Here's what the professor of history at Macquarie University says. His name is E.A. Judge. I've got his quote on the screen behind me. He's a historian. Probably Australia is one of Australia's best. He says this, An ancient historian has no problem seeing the phenomenon of Jesus as a historical one. His many surprising aspects only help anchor him in history. Myth or legend would have created a more predictable figure. The writings that sprang up about Jesus also reveal to us a movement of thought and an experience of life so unusual that something much more substantial than the imagination is needed to explain it. So here's my platform that we're starting this series from. Matthew is writing a biography, recording events and interactions and observations and conversations that actually happened he's not writing a fable or a myth it's not a fairy tale and yet Matthew's doing more than simply just recording historical events as amazing as these are just for history's sake Matthew's doing more than that he wants us to probe behind the narrative to see the truth of who Jesus is And having seen that truth, Matthew wants us to follow in the footsteps of Jesus as his disciples. Matthew helps us to see this by adding kind of selective information to his narrative. We see an example of this right at the very start of his gospel, back in chapter 1. So when the angel is speaking to Joseph, reassuring him about the baby that his fiancée Mary is carrying, we read this. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. See, Matthew wants his readers to know that Jesus is the one who will save his people. And he tells us that right up front in chapter 1. So the gospel accounts, although they're historical, they also contain underlying truths and themes that are designed to leave the reader... To place their faith and hope in Jesus as his disciples. Now if you think this is an absurd platform to start from, you're welcome to hold that perspective, but I'd love you to come and talk with me afterwards, I'd love to pass on to you a book or two about the historical Jesus, or you might, if you're not a reader, you might like to look at a couple of different video links about what some of these historians say about this starting platform. Because in this case, the starting platform, as when you're getting on a train, is important. If you're on the wrong platform, you'll never get to where you're intended to go. I think Matthew recounts for us historical truth that are designed to make us ask questions. Who is this man? And this morning I want us to see that this man, Jesus, is a man of authority. Real and genuine authority, so that when he acts or when he speaks, when he touches something or when he commands, nothing stands in his way. And we see that right up the front of our reading today, back in the last few verses of Matthew chapter 7. I encourage you to turn there with me, it's on page 1511 of our Black Bibles. And as you turn there, let me just remind you about where we are in the story of Matthew's Gospel. Jesus has just been up on the mountainside teaching his most famous of sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, and now we see him descending, coming down from that mountain. Let me read to you from verse 28 of Matthew chapter 7. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. See, in these couple of verses, two words jump out for me. The crowds are amazed because Jesus who taught as one who had authority. They're amazed at his authority. You see, unlike the teachers of the law who just merely interpret the law and explain it to the people, Jesus teaches with real authority, real, legitimate, powerful authority. And to help make that point about the authority of Jesus, Matthew goes on to demonstrate that authority, in this case, demonstrate that authority in Jesus being able to heal sickness. In the New Testament, leprosy included a number of different skin conditions that rendered a person unclean. Today, I think leprosy, as I read, is still a pretty terrible disease, but it is able to be cured. Back in the time that Matthew wrote... Those treatment options didn't exist. There seemed to be little hope for you if you contracted leprosy. And the disease also came with it, this really powerful stigma. Sufferers were thought to be spiritually unclean. And so they were physically ostracized and separated from the rest of society. One of the commentators said that those who have this disease were required to have torn clothes and unkept hair and they were to shout out unclean wherever they went. It sounds absolutely horrendous. And if you happen to come into contact with a person suffering from this disease, then their uncleanliness kind of rubbed off on you and you yourself needed to go through a ritualistic cleaning process. Just imagine the distress that this disease brought with it to those who had it or those whose families had someone like that in them and so with that kind of background let me read to you verse 2 from chapter 8 It says a man with leprosy came and knelt before him before Jesus and said Lord if you are willing you can make me clean and look what Jesus does Jesus reaches out his hand and touch the man I am willing he said be clean And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy and Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as testimony to them. This is authority, isn't it? Jesus simply reaches out and touches the man and he's healed. There's no incantations, no medicines, just a touch and the person is healed. That's authority. And yet at the same time in reaching out and touching a leper, Jesus demonstrates incredible compassion and humility. See, the law demanded separation from those with this condition. And yet Jesus just reaches out and touches the man. We'll soon see that Jesus could have just healed the man by speaking. He had no need to touch him. Yet it seems like touch was the very thing lacking from this person's life. And so Jesus touches him. And his authority here extends well beyond the law, doesn't it? The law prohibits contact. The law says if you touch a person with leprosy, you become unclean. And yet at the same time, Jesus tells this man to fulfill the duties of the law by visiting the temple and offering the gift that Moses commanded. See, in this little story, we see power and authority that Jesus has over sickness and we also see his compassion for those who are suffering and in a way we see him fulfilling the law here is real authority demonstrated in the healing of leprosy now if this happened today I imagine that our Facebook and Twitter feeds would be filled with the news. I can kind of almost imagine the shaky iPhone video captured by someone who was there. It would, of course, be shot in portrait mode because that's what happens to spur-of-the-moment videos. Now, back in the first century AD, the news of Jesus' healing ability spreads quickly also. I don't know how they did it back then without Facebook, but regardless of that, the news spreads quickly. Come with me to verse 14 of chapter 8. We're now at Peter's house and Jesus finds Peter's mother-in-law sick with a fever. He touches her hand and she is well. She gets up and begins to wait on Jesus. See, no disease seems to be incurable for him. We read on from verse 16. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. There's no sickness that Jesus was unable to heal, no demon that he couldn't cast out. I think it's sort of a twofold emphasis happening here. We see Jesus is being merciful, he's going about healing, and yet at the same time, he's acting with absolute authority. Even today with our medical breakthroughs and all the technology we have today, there are some things medicine just can't fix. And here we see Jesus, the great physician, curing all who come to him. I think it's worth pausing for a moment here to ask the question, why does this ministry of healing stop then? Or perhaps asking that question kind of more personally, why won't Jesus heal my sickness? I want to acknowledge that for some of us, sickness and medical issues are not just minor inconveniences, but they are painful, life-altering conditions. It's a hard question for some of us. And it seems to me that there are some people in this age who are healed through prayer. We should praise God and thank him for that. But at the same time, there are lots of questions that we might have about sickness and pain the Bible simply doesn't answer. The Bible is clear on this though. Jesus still reigns supreme and we have a great promise, a sure promise, that there will be a time one day when Jesus will right all the wrongs in this world. The Bible also tells us, and I really like the way that a commentator I read put it this week, so I've got the quote up on the screen behind me. That disease is not the true enemy to be overcome. That enemy is sin. For the fallen world produced by sin lies ultimately behind suffering and sickness of this age. See, we know that those of us who invite Jesus into our lives can be cleansed, we can be forgiven. That's what the quotation of Isaiah that Matthew quotes is all about. See Matthew is telling the astute reader at this point you think this physical healing ministry is impressive well let me tell you this man is the Messiah. He'll lead you to everlasting life. He'll make you right not just physically but spiritually. And Matthew does that by showing us that Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 53. Remember Isaiah chapter 53? It's that suffering servant passage in Isaiah. The suffering servant who was ultimately pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. What kind of a man is this? He's the one that cures our spiritual hurt, fixes our spiritual brokenness. He's the one who deals with our sins you might wonder, has he got the power to do that for me? Well, we need to read on to see that. We've seen so far the great authority of Jesus to heal and to cast out demons. That's pretty impressive, I think. But towards the end of chapter 8, Jesus really ratchets up his miracle working ability. The calming of the storm, it's so amazing that it leaves the disciples asking that key question who is this man? See, storms are pretty ferocious things, aren't they? The Smithsonian Institute estimates that the average tropical cyclone releases 600 terawatts of energy. To put that in perspective, our world currently uses 5 terawatts of energy. 5 terawatts is what we use. One tropical storm, 600 terawatts. If you're an engineer or a nerd a bit like me, that's probably a fairly impressive thing to hear. For the rest of you... A storm probably means the opportunity to snuggle up under a blanket and to listen to the rain falling on your roof. I said before, the video clip that I played at the start goes for eight hours. It's designed just for that reason. Perhaps it's too hot to sleep tonight. You can look that up on YouTube. But imagine you're out in a boat, freezing cold, wet, hanging on for dear life. For a fisherman or for a boater, there's nothing good about a storm. I know this from one experience in my life. I was 17 or 18 years old and I went to visit an uncle in New Zealand and he had a fishing trip planned. The trip involved heading off from the very bottom tip of New Zealand towards Antarctica. We were to stop at an island called Stewart Island and to get there we had to cross a notorious stretch of water called the Fovo Strait. It's so dangerous, this stretch of water, that my auntie made me ring my mum before I went off with my uncle. The first day was a great day of fishing. We camped on the island that night but the next morning the conditions were not quite so good and our boat was slamming over the waves as we went to the first fishing spot. Five minutes after we dropped the anchor we noticed water in the bottom of the boat. Another five minutes and it was up to our ankles. By that stage the bilge pump was working flat out but the water kept coming in and we knew it was now time to head to the safety of dry land. But in all the excitement of getting bilge pumps working and that sort of thing we would forgot to take notice of the weather we hadn't noticed the sky had turned gray and the wind and the waves were getting up at that point frankly the boat was sinking there is nothing soothing about the sound of the howl of wind and waves when you're in a sinking boat did you notice the fear of the disciples as the storm raged around them have a look at it in our passage. Let me read it to you from verse 24. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake, so that waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. It's worth remembering at this point that at least some of his disciples were fishermen by trade, and this is probably the lake that they went fishing on. They've probably done it hundreds if not thousands of times before. These are not just landlubbers for the first time out on the sea. No, these are experienced men of the sea and they're terrified. So terrified that fishermen turn to a carpenter to save them during a storm. It's kind of like an electrician turning to a plumber when the lights won't come on. This is end of the road stuff. And yet the carpenter's asleep. Read me. what happens next in our story at verse 26. He, Jesus, replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed, and they asked, what kind of a man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. I don't know what things are like in your households in the mornings, but In ours earlier this week, it kind of felt like we were in the middle of a storm. We had my kids' cousins staying with us. That meant that there were seven kids in our house, which meant there were seven bowls of wheat bix on the breakfast table, seven cups of milk to be spilt. And I'd ask them, kids, can you put your dishes in the sink? And I spoke, but it seemed to make absolutely no difference. (laughs) Jesus speaks. And the storm in its all its ferocity not just listens to him but it obeys it's a story we know so well isn't it jesus calming the raging storm with just a word but if you've ever wondered about the power of jesus well here's a reminder of his great strength perhaps you've heard of someone speak of jesus as a pretty amazing man Maybe you've thought after that conversation, sure, he's a great man, but he probably can't help me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I'm like. He's not capable of forgiving me. Here we see the power of Jesus, the authority of Jesus. A fierce storm, all 600 terawatts of energy, it obeys his command. See, Matthew chapter 8 shows us the incredible authority of Jesus. He speaks to a storm and it listens. And what are we to do with all of this? Well, I think at least part of the answer lies in looking at the actions of the centurion that we see earlier in the chapter. This is what Jesus says about that centurion. truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. The faith of the centurion is one that acknowledges the power and the authority of Jesus and calls upon that power. See, the centurion had a servant who was sick and suffering and he comes to Jesus for help. Acknowledging Jesus as Lord. The centurion asked Jesus. Let me read to you from verse 8 of Matthew chapter 8. The centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. It's a powerful acknowledgement of who this man, Jesus, is, isn't it, by the centurion? Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. See, the centurion knows enough about the supremacy of Jesus and about his majesty. He knows that Jesus is set apart, and he knows that he is a sinful man, not worthy of Jesus' presence. But he also knows of Jesus' power. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. As a military man, he knows what it is to both give and receive orders. Jesus calls this faith. It's an acknowledgement that Jesus can be trusted, that his words are powerful. I hope you've seen today in these records of Jesus' life, his great authority and power at work. Authority over sickness, authority over demons, authority over the weather. And ultimately, authority to deal with the true enemy, the true disease, sin. For that, Jesus would need to go to the cross. But in doing so, he conquered death itself. And for that, he would be exalted to the right hand of the Father. If you don't know Jesus this way, I'd love you to keep reading through Matthew's Gospel. I'd love you to flick back a few pages and see this teaching that he Gives to those who are listening. I'd love you to see how wise and how influential his teaching is. And then reread Matthew chapter eight again and see the great power and authority with which Jesus acts. Authority that ultimately can make us right with God. Love you to take time to look into the evidence and ask have you got the platform correct? As you read these words, once you've taken the time to examine these things, don't be like the subjects of these verses that are thrown outside. Instead, take these verses to heart. What will your faith lead to? Perhaps you like the man who is sick with leprosy, need to fall at the knees of Jesus, fall on your knees before Jesus. Perhaps like the centurion, you need to acknowledge him as Lord. Because these verses demand that we not ignore Jesus but that we follow him as his disciples with faith let me pray for us Father God we thank you for these words from Matthew that give us an insight into the life of Jesus that help us to see what he was like as a person that help us to see the great power that he had, the great authority that he had power to heal Power to stop a raging storm. And ultimately, power
0: to forgive us of our sins. Amen.